This is the at u2.com podcast for September 19th, 2019, talking all things U2, including new album news, tour dates, and community discussions from the staff of at u2. I'm your host, Colin Suter, and on this episode, we've got Ian Ryan and Chris Endernal. Uh, but before we jump into the discussion, I want to let you know that you can find links to items we discuss in this episode at goodstuff.fm slash at u2. And if you're not already subscribed to the at u2 podcast, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Rosetta Stones, and they just released the Rosetta Stone Bangalese Edition. Ever wonder what Bono is saying when he starts mumbling into the microphone? Rosetta Stone's got you covered. No longer will you be trying to figure out how to grow sesame seeds for your love and in your heart. No longer will you be wondering how to make your lemon cheesecake harder. And no longer will you be wondering why he tells Edge to throw his lips into the cookie puss. Now with Rosetta Stone, Bono's mumblings will be coherent enough to unlock the secrets of both the Da Vinci Code and James Joyce's Ulysses. Order the latest 2019 CD-ROM edition today and start speaking Bengalese soon. All right, so we got Ian and Chris uh, joining us uh, for the podcast today. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello, hello. 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 Oh, I should have uh, said hola. God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we're, we're starting, we're without Chris, so we're all a little bit off our game right now. I know we had another episode without him last week, and or a couple weeks ago, and, and it was all good. But we're all still just kind of trying to find our feet without him here as our anchor, as our guide. So, um, So I'm stepping, I'm filling in some big shoes today. Uh, well, before we get into our discussion, which I which I hope will become something of a series on this podcast, which is a deep dive song dissection of one of U2's songs, uh, we're going to talk briefly about uh, some U2 news uh, that's come up uh, in the last week or so. Uh, first of all, U2 announced another final show, <laughs> uh, this one in Mumbai on December 15th. Um, which is pretty exciting that they've never been to India before. Um, and uh, I mean, it's, it's, isn't that amazing to think? I mean, when you, when you, when you stop and think about it, I mean, India, that YouTube's never, of all the places that they've played, they've not played India. Yeah. But this is a tour of first. I mean, this is the first time doing Manila, yeah. first time doing Singapore, first time doing Seoul and now first time doing Mumbai. And Chris, you got a you got a sort of special place in your heart for the for one of these shows, right? You well, yeah, um, you know, uh, I'm I, I I'm a Filipino heritage, so um, for for our boys to to go to uh, Manila and play the motherland for the first time is 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 exciting. I, I haven't been back to the Philippines um, since 2008, and so um, <laughs> this seems like as good a reason as any to go back. Uh, unfortunately, it costs an arm and a leg to fly halfway around the world. So um, oh. I'm not sure if I can make it this time, but um, hopefully it's the first of future shows. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the tour starts November 8th. So that's about a month and a half away from now, a little less than a month and a half away. Um, do you guys have any like speculations about what this tour might be like in comparison to, you know, the lasting, uh, you know, couple in car uh, that <laughs> in cars. Uh, what am I trying to say? What word am I incarnations. trying to Incarnation. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, of the Joshua tree tour. I mean, do you kind of think they're just going to stick to the hits like they did in the, with the American shows or what do you, do you guys have any opinions on that at all yet? I could definitely see them doing some love town songs. Um, they're going to that 
like uh, Love Town was popular. Well, I shouldn't say popular was mainly played in Australia, uh, and so I could see them uh, bring out some Rattle and Hum tracks, uh, especially since it's closer to Rattle and Hum's anniversary. Uh, but yeah, just have to wait and see. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be really interesting because I've never really done this before where they just kind of pick up a tour mid, you know, in the middle when nothing's really happening and, and sort of continue with it, even though they had a tour in between. So it's, I, I, this, this will be, this is an interesting phase in U2's career, whether they've allowed themselves to do that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think it's perfect that we're jumping into this song dissection um, episode or what I hope will be a, a series um, just periodically throughout, you know, the next few years of at U2, however long we decide to do this. But um, I, I think this is the perfect song, which is where well, I guess we should explain. You guys want to do a deep dive into the song, the little things that give you away. Um, and I think that is the reason why I think that's a perfect song to, for this time is that because that song was the bridge that got us from the Joshua tree tour into the songs of experience. It's sort of like that was, they were teasing the album during the Joshua tree 2017 tour uh, by playing the song at, at most shows, I think, or half the shows at least. And posting and, the album cover. Yeah. And posting okay. the album cover. And uh, so that was like giving us a little taste of this album. And now we're coming back to the Joshua tree tour and we've already had this whole songs of experience tour and album and all that stuff. So we're kind of jump jump. That's, that's why I think this is the, like the perfect song to do right now. Um, so I guess I'll just, I'm going to turn it over to you guys uh, and you guys are going to go just like break the song down word for word, note for note. And uh, I'm really excited to hear what you guys have to say about this. So Chris, yeah. do you want to go? Do you want to say what the song means to you? Well, you know, um, this w- this song was one of the first songs on SOE that really um, hooked me, and um, I I think it's a fantastic song uh, lyrically, but I think musically and sonically, uh, it's just it's brilliant. And I've, I've I've said it before, and I will gladly say it again on this episode. The, the last half of this song, that, that, that gradual build, is some of U2's finest work ever, I think. It, lyrically, it's brilliant, but musically, what Edge and Larry in, in, in particular do, it's just, the whole song is an exercise in subtlety, right? It's, it's an exercise in the little things. So it's, it, it, it works on so, so many levels. And um, before we uh, logged on to this podcast, I was, I was listening to it in um, over my headphones, you know, and the rest of the house is, is asleep. And I, it took everything I had not to sing it at the top of my lungs because it's, it's just one of those songs that every time I listen to it, it just, it, it, it hooks me. And, um, I, I just, I haven't been able to get enough of it. I absolutely love it. It, it, it has quickly ascended into my personal, uh, top 10, uh, U2 songs. So it means a great deal. 
So I remember hearing it uh, during the Joshua Tree shows, and I Edge's part at the beginning where he was playing the piano, uh, it felt a little underwhelming, and there was that just that mysterious image of the cover for Songs of Experience that showed up on the screen. And towards the end, it really like kicked into high gear and gave me some hope for the album. But based on the first half, I was a little worried. And I remember when the Songs of Experience, I don't think it was like an unofficial illegal release. I think it was probably released on purpose. Um, but when all the tracks were available to download about a week before the album came out, and I approached listening to the song with trepidation just because of how just kind of bland this, the first half of the song was. Um, but then I heard the album version of it with edges, just kind of shimmering guitars. And like, oh. I don't even know the term it's, it's that same, like kind of really fast hitting of uh, strings that he like used in wire. He uses yeah. the same technique in uh, little things and it just blew my mind how improved the album version of the song was. It was so beautiful. Uh, I was just flabbergasted at how a, how much they had improved the song from the live version. Uh, but B how bad the live version was at least the first half until uh like in contrast to the album version, I think the both versions kind of meet in the middle at the second part. And that's where they like level out and become the same song. But the first half of the live version is nothing compared to the first half of the album version. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, 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 uh, when I do music analysis for my research, I often, um, pull up or I often make waveforms of mm-hmm. these songs um, so I can, so I can look at the song and, and see what it looks like. And I'm looking at it right now. And that, that first half, you know, it, it's, it's a bunch of contrast, right? Like you, you have that really soft intro and then Bono starts singing the first verse and you get this, this transitional pre-chorus, you know, that the, the, Oh la la la. And it starts to build and you think this big chorus is coming up, but then that, 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 that first chorus kind of backs off a little bit and, it, it, it kind of forces you to lean in to it a little bit and say, oh, that wasn't what I expected. And then the, and then the second verse hits and then the, and then the second chorus is, is bigger and then, it, and then it backs off again and then it starts the, that second half with the sometimes and it just builds and builds and builds and builds and just doesn't seem to stop building with that, that fast echo that, that you talked about from the edge and Larry's drumming in that second half. I mean, Larry's drumming has never been better. I don't think on, on not just on this song, but Larry is like a fine wine. He's getting better. With age. <laughs> he really is. I, I think he's getting better. I mean, his, it, he, he has a unique style because it's, you know, he, he plays quote unquote wrong. So, you know, you can tell when it's Larry playing, but older Larry is, is so, he's so much more subtle and, and so much more involved with, with the song's texture. Um, when I, I, I read something that Larry said, you know, that he likes to listen. He, he likes to read the lyrics before he comes up with a drum part because he, he wants his drumming to reflect the lyrics. And I'd never heard a drummer say that. I'd never heard a drummer get so involved with, uh, with the lyrics of the song and this song, little, the, the little things that, gi- that, that give you away that second half with his symbols. And when Bono's talking about, you know, the painted glass shattering, I mean, you, 
you hear it and you see it in your mind's eye. I mean, Larry does a, a, a fantastic job of visualizing um, Bono's lyrics, I think. It's, it is, it's funny that, like, that he says that about wanting to read the lyrics what, what, before doing a song because one of his most famous quotes is on that Octung Baby video from 30 years ago or 20 years ago saying, I don't think lyrics are worth a shit to baby. Honestly, if you ask me, I think it's all about drums. So, <laughs> um, right. I I'm allowed to swear on this or not, but I'm quoting Larry. He said it. So, all right. There you go. Uh, but if you're going to quote Larry, you do have to quote him correctly. He said it's about the drums, not the drums. Yeah, <laughs> the drums. That's right. Right. Put the accent on it, not my Midwestern Kermit the Frog draw. Um, so, uh, so what? What do you? Uh, so, what, you guys want to uh, dive into the lyrics in this uh, a little bit, Ian? That's kind of where sure. you're coming from on this, right? Yeah. So fundamentally, uh, it's a song about how young Bono and old Bono or innocence Bono and experienced Bono feel about each other. Um, they have frustrations with each other. Uh, young Bono, well, experienced Bono imagines young uh, innocence Bono um, like disagreeing with what he's doing. And experienced Bono imagines innocence Bono as doing stuff that's not well thought out and kind of brash and immature. Um, Bono himself says the song is about, uh, innocence Bono's frustration with current Bono, but I think the song reads just as easily, uh, as experienced Bono's frustrations with, uh, his younger self. Yes, um, I agree. Totally. So they kind of start on the same, uh, path. They have a certain section that they agree with. Uh, the night gave you a song, which is Fundamentally, I think about Iris's death and the general conflict that taught him how to be an artist. Uh, he he hit on a, this idea that in the darkness there is a light, or in the darkness something good will come, uh, like in Yahweh uh, with why is why the dark before the dawn, and midnight is where the day begins in Lemon. Um, he leads on. He continues on with a uh, light had been turned on. Um, this, so one of the primary symbols of songs of innocence is the light bulb that came up over Bono's head during the, the miracle of Joey Ramone and the light bulb kind of represents, uh, his wound making him open. It's the idea that when he's wounded, he wants it to close, but it's when something is open, it's also open to new ideas, new concepts, new experiences. Uh, he used the same idea, albeit in a different context in ultraviolet when he was talking about the frustration in his relationship, assumedly with Ali, but at the same time making that light bulb, not just the classic symbol of an idea, but also an opening to, uh, be his salvation, to be, uh, the savior above him uh in his bed so the next lines are you walked out in the world like you belonged there they're still agreeing on this they're still saying that after uh iris's death uh they kind of had no fear they both felt like they could take on the world it's the janice joplin line freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose but this is kind of where their agreement in this situation and their analysis of it ends uh, as easy as a breeze, each heart was yours to please. And I think this kind of represents how Bono is a flirt. I mean, he specifically said so in Slug. Uh, sometimes he's 
kind of comes off as an amorous flirt. Sometimes he's a platonic flirt, but his flirtation, his smooth talking is how he has been able to ingratiate himself, bring himself into so many situations with so many diverse people. I've known a few flirts in my life and I know what they look like. And Bono is just a quintessential flirt. Uh, Innocence Bono was able to flirt his way into having people accept that what were actually Ramon's songs were actually were U2 songs ostensibly and experienced Bono was able to flirt his way into politics and into influencing how national funds are diverted towards AIDS and debt relief, things like that. But then uh, they go on to say, is there only me who sees there's something wrong here? Experience Bono looks at innocence Bono and thinks that maybe his flirtatious behavior uh, is without the experience to back it up, that it may just be braggadocio, that it may be setting up false expectations. And then Innocence Bono looks at experienced Bono flirting with power and wonders if he's lost the plot, if he's like gone off the path they initially set for themselves. Uh, there was a whole rant during Bullet the Blue Sky on the Innocence and Experience tour where it's just Innocence Bono and Experience Bono just arguing with themselves. And this song is very much a continuation of that. Nice. I was just gonna. I was gonna bring that up about the, yeah. about the bullet, the blue sky. I think that's probably my favorite moment in that tour. Is is oh, that it's that so good? Oh my god, it's fantastic. Uh, well, that 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 whole stretch of bullet uh, into the Zeropa snippet into streets. I mean, I, I I'm in tears every time I watch that because mm-hmm. that 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 whole stretch. I mean, it's so intense with bullet, and then they bring it down with Zeropa, and then like straight into that into that iconic streets opening. It's just like, Oh my God. And, and, and the way he played with the, um, private planes, like, can you see yeah. those fighter planes while you're flying your private planes? Private planes yeah. Fantastic. I mean, what a great, what a great turn of phrase that was. Um, and that, so, so during that part of the song, we just, we only just covered the first, <laughs> uh, just everything before the chorus in that. I mean, that's pretty, that's, it's a pretty impressive, um, uh, connection, some pretty impressive connections that you made there. So what do you think about the musical element of that part, uh, Chris? What do you, well, you know, the, the first half is, is, it's fine for me. I, I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty typical song structure, you know, I mean, you, you have the standard U2 elements there. Um, again, I'll, 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 I'll point to Larry's drumming and, and, and how, how it changes from verse one to verse two, right? Because the tone of Bono's lyrics change from verse one to verse two. So Larry's drums change accordingly. Um, Edge's, Edge's guitar is also a little bit different in verse one from, from verse two. So, you know, you, you, you hear musically this progression, right? And, and so, and and you 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 could interpret this that that progression as you know innocence Bono growing up into experience Bono or experience Bono looking back and learning lessons you know and that and and trying to talk to innocence Bono trying to trying to tell his younger self these lessons that he's learned knowing that it's knowing that that task is futile but he wants to try anyway um, so but the music of of the first half while I like it is it pales in comparison um, to the second half for me. The, the second half of, of, of the song is just, 
it's mind blowing to me. So I'll 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 reserve my my discussion for the music <laughs> until we get to the second half. <laughs> okay. That's cool. Um, so let's move on then. So, so the next part is, uh, we want to talk about is that uh, I saw you on the stairs. Do you want to talk about that part, or do you want to? Wanna... Well, so the next part is the pre-chorus. Mm-hmm. Oh la la la! Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. So my favorite song off of Songs of Experience is Little Things. My favorite song off of Songs of Innocence is Iris, and they both have a pre-chorus that switches very distinctly from minor keys in the verses to a major key for this moment. It's, it's, it's kind of this like moment of redemption where uh, it's just kind of an alleviation of the tension that is sitting on both of the verses at the starts of those songs. Iris goes back into a minor key for the verse, but... Uh, Little Things stays in the major key for the, uh, excuse me, goes back into the, Iris goes back into the minor key for the chorus, um, but Little Things stays in the major key for the chorus. And I think it's interesting that both these songs have these just like sections, these pre-choruses of, I don't know, like internally, I always kind of consider them to be bits of redemption. Like it's just, here's this moment of peace in this otherwise very difficult, tough song. And I think it's interesting how both songs have it. Um, so yeah, just the oh la la la. I'm not a ghost now. I can see you. You need to see me. And this is experienced Bono telling Innocence Bono that he needs to heed experienced Bono's advice, while Innocence Bono is telling experienced Bono that he needs to remember where he came from, not forget who he is. Uh, it's also um a tie-in with uh i will follow where um iris says uh well in iris it says uh i can i can see you uh excuse me excuse me sorry uh in little things it says uh i can see you you need to see me and in i will follow uh bono starts talking about how um your eyes make a circle I can see you when you go in there. So he's referring back to stuff on the very first album in this. And it's kind of telling how much Bono has internalized and uh, just made a foundation, how he perceives his mother's death and how much inspiration it has given him in his art. Uh, So then we go to the chorus. It's the little things that give you away the words you cannot say your big mouth in the way. So young people who have something to prove, who just like want to big up themselves, talk loud, they talk fast, uh, but they leave the most of themselves on their sleeves. Uh, They don't know how to guide their emotions as much. They don't know how to hide what they're feeling as much. And so it gives them away. They're loud voices, their brash talking gives them away. But when you're looking at an older person who has become too staid in their positions, like too comfortable to challenge themselves in their thoughts and their beliefs, that's um, also really clear that their big mouths, they may espouse beliefs that they feel are deeply held, but at the same time, if you see they've become rigid, it's also really obvious they have big mouths and they cannot say certain words they should say. So then we go to the next uh, verse. I saw you on the stairs. You didn't notice I was there. 
That's because you were talking at me and not to me. And to me, this is experienced Bono looking at Innocence Bono, uh, maybe on the stairs behind a gig or a bar or something like that, and wishing he could give advice on it to Innocence Bono, or maybe just that Innocence Bono would have some sort of guide, some sort of mentor, since by all accounts, Bono has made it clear that he and his father weren't really talking so much at that point. Uh, I confess I don't understand how this works with Bono's position, that this song is about Innocence Bono talking to Experience Bono. I, it, it feels more like it is just Experience Bono talking to Innocence Bono. And this continues with, you are high above the storm, a hurricane being born. This freedom, it might cost you your liberty. And this is Innocence Bono shooting his mouth off and being high and noble and focused on like ideological purity and doesn't matter whether they were like really getting into their uh, Christian beliefs or whether they were really devoted to their moans and the sex pistols and what punk music stood for. They were focused on purity, on clarity of belief, on clarity of idea. And experience Bono is more focused on practicality being down to earth and understanding that being able to what you say, uh, what you uh, want doesn't mean that you will get what you want. And in both cases, uh, they create noise, they create wind, they create a storm to get what they want. But in both cases, it also makes them to a certain extent beholden to those goals they want. Uh, with younger Bono, it's, he's beholden to becoming the world's biggest rock star. With older Bono, he's beholden to politicians and tax funding and stuff like that and schmoozing. And I could see how both Bonos might be frustrated with that. That's interesting. You know, uh, when you talked about the beginning of the second verse, um, I saw you on the stairs. You didn't notice I was there. I actually can, I can visualize that being Innocence Bono talking to Experience Bono. And that Innocence Bono is kind of like he doesn't, like, he doesn't want Experience Bono preaching at him. Like it, it, this is Innocence Bono saying, "Look, I look. I just want to play a gig, man. Don't tell me what to do." So he's like you know, lecturing it, him. Yeah, okay, Experience okay. Bono is yeah. trying to talk to Innocence Bono, and and Innocence Bono, because he's a young, brash up and comer, doesn't want to hear of it. You know, and and he, you didn't notice I was there. Young Bono is saying Experience Bono because Experience Bono is just talking, talking at him, not to him. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like exactly. a parent. Like a parent. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, what, what else I, I just noticed is there's no pre-chorus transition before the second chorus, mm-hmm. which, you know, there are songs that do that, but it is kind of rare to change the form like that. Um, I haven't really thought about um, the link to the lyrics or, or anything like that um, with, with the change in form, but, you know, that, it's like that first, first half is missing a section, right? Because that, that, that oh la la... Seems to come out of nowhere in after that first verse, right? Because first verse is in a minorish key, and then oh la la la, just it's 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 not lyrics. It's it's Bono kind of scatting, and then it it, it busts into major. But we don't get that in the second after the second verse, um, which I think is I think is interesting. I I don't know an interpretation of it yet, but um, you know, give me a but 
<laughs> but the oh la 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 is both simultaneously delicate and kind of condescending. Like, oh la la, look oh, at you. Yeah, Aren't yeah. you the best thing since sliced <laughs> bread? I mean, it's, it's, it's delicate. Like, I don't want to hurt you, but at the same time, you're getting to be too big for your britches. Right, right. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. But, that, but then now the second, in this second chorus the second version of the chorus it's another addition to this lyric uh it's little right. things that tease and betray um has the hunter now become the prey what do you, who do you think is who's talking to who there do you think well who's so <laughs> so i mean i think innocence bono uh kind of gives himself away, gives away all his flaws and insecurity by how blusterous he is. Uh, and that's the little things that tease and betray all these little details that you pick up watching his interviews from whatever, 35, 40 years ago. Um, you see all these little details, what he's trying to do, what he's trying to manipulate, what he's trying to create. Uh, and it's got to be obvious to someone watching right now, like, they clearly said they wanted to become the biggest uh, rock band on the planet. And you can see how he's flirting, how he's just trying to tease and build up what the band are. Um, I mean, if you go for a little literal version of Betray, they were playing other people's songs and saying to the like uh, contest judges that they were their own songs, that they were their own creations. I mean, it might not be as literal as that, but... It's there's plenty to read into those lines if you have an idea of what U2's history is. Right. Well, uh, I, I'm I'm focusing now on the has the hunter now become the prey, and I can I I can interpret that being experienced Bono. Now he is the he is now the elder statesman in rock, mm-hmm. and he is no longer uh, you know U2 is no longer considered rock's hottest ticket. So he 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 was hunting for the title of world's biggest band. They got it, and now. Once you achieve the top of the mountain, everyone's coming after you, right? Everyone has something to say about your music or about your politics or about your sunglasses or about, <laughs> or about whatever, right? Or about your, about your album release on iTunes. Like everything, everybody has something to say about you 2 now because they've reached the apex. So he was once the hunter at 17 years old, but now at 57, he, people are coming after him. People so his title. So this is kind of innocent Bono going in for the kill. Like, oh, you thought you were so set up. You thought you had found all these connections and made all these achievements. You have this huge artistic history, uh, but you painted yourself into a position where uh, now everyone has an expectation of you. Everyone demands that you be both Joshua Tree, you two, and at the same time making something completely different and phenomenal and experimental. Um, and you are just subjected to all this crap. Yeah. I think yeah. it works from, I, I, I think you can interpret these lines from, from both innocence and experience. Yep. Imagine that. Hey. <laughs> so then we go on to uh, the second part. And I think this part is where the two paths converge. Both Bonos are talking about their shared wounds. The Innocence Bono uh, lost his mother not too long before they started writing music and becoming a band. Um, And the Experience Bono, prior to writing, well, finishing writing of Songs of Experience, had a near-fatal health condition. Uh, that was clearly a shock to his system, as he says. 
And this is where both of their shared traumas kind of come together and they are simpatico rather than arguing with each other. So he says, sometimes I can't believe my existence. I see myself from a distance and I can't get back inside. They're both hurt. They're both removed from the safety that they previously thought they have. The younger Bono had the safety of his mother. The older Bono had the safety of just phenomenal wealth, I guess. Um, They don't know how to feel safe again. And then it goes to sometimes the air is so anxious. All my thoughts are so reckless and all my innocence has died. And they're anxious. They're frustrated. They're upset. They can't control their thoughts, which is what happens when something traumatic occurs to you. Uh, they both feel like they've lost their innocence, even though I'm calling them one of them innocent, innocence Bono and one of them experienced Bono, both of them with innocence Bono losing his mother and experienced Bono truly facing his mortality. They've both lost a bit of innocence that they previously had. And then sometimes I wake up four in the morning when all the darkness is swarming and it covers me in fear. And both of them had to face their mortality. Innocence Bono lost his mother at an early age and experienced Bono. I mean, we think of him as like approaching 60, but that's still a young age to die at, especially in Western cultures uh, that have uh, modern medicine. So, I mean, they both face death at an early age. Yeah. yeah. Uh, musically and sonically, the the second sometimes section, the, the air is so anxious and my thoughts are so reckless. If you listen to that really, really carefully, um, when Bono sings, the air is so anxious, there's an effect on his voice that sounds like his, like he's being sucked out of a bottle or something. And like it, it, it reflects his anxiety. And then it kind of fades and his voice comes back to the center um, for, for the line all my thoughts are so reckless. But then again, in the next line, all my innocence has died. When he sings the word innocence, again, there's, there's this production effect that, that, that seems to like suck him to the back of the soundstage rather than the front. Um, so sonically, you know, th- uh, and again, this song to me is an exercise in subtlety. And if you don't know what to listen for, or if you're not listening carefully, you would, you would miss that. But it's production details like that, that, um, that set this song apart for me. Um, it, it, it's, it's an, it's an oral and a, and a sonic, um, interpretation of Bono's lyrics. It's, it, it's brilliant. Plus, you know, when each time Bono starts a new, sometimes there's, there's another layer or two of music coming in and it's, again, it's, it's subtle. So if you, if you're not paying that close attention, it might just seem like it's a crescendo, but it's, it's not just a dynamic increase it's a textural increase, you know, Adam's, Adam's baseline changes it and it, it, it gets more rapid in its, in its rhythm. Larry's kick drum starts to play a different pattern and his cymbals start to get more frequent as, as the sometimes keep going. And then Edge's guitar gets more echoey and, and faster rhythm. So there, there is a build, not just in dynamics, but also in texture and, and the way they play with tempo, in this, you know, it, it shifts to double time, but it shifts to double time over the course of two minutes. Like it doesn't just happen, uh, which, you know, it, 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 you could, you, you, you could interpret that any, any number of ways, kind of like, you know, it, like U2's career is this long thing it, 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 that it didn't just happen. 
they they worked at it and they started when they were teenagers and now they're 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 pushing 60 and they're still there they're still the biggest band there's they're they're still drawing 90,000 people in stadiums um i think it's it that musically and sonically this this second half is just phenomenal phenomenal and i think uh, you mentioned Larry's, uh, you know, the cymbal smashing more and more as the song progresses. Um, yeah. You know, he, he's, it, we have a lyric coming up that, you know, might be the, uh, the sound of what Bono is talking about when he says uh, sometimes when the painted glass shatters. Exactly. There's, exactly. there's a lyric that. Exactly. That- and, and when, when I, when, when that realization hit me, I, I, I was floored. I, I, I tweeted that out right away. I was like, Oh my God. Bono singing about painted glass shattering, and then you listen to Larry's cymbals, mm-hmm. and it's like glass is shattering above your head. Like you, it, it, it's almost as if the glass is falling on the listener. I may have just jumped a little too far ahead there, Ian. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, Ian. <laughs> no, no, no. So I actually have a question. I have actually have a question that just occurred to me. Um, so. The verses of the first part are in minor key and they're kind of bitter and accusatory and frustrated. But then when the song shifts to the major key, all the lyrics kind of become sympathetic and a bit more like internal. Um, I'm sorry to spring this on you, Chris or uh, Colin. I just curious if you have any thoughts about this. It just, it's, it's something I hadn't really thought about until we're discussing it right now. I recognized that there were lyrical shifts in the song and musical shifts in the song, but it didn't really occur to me until right now how they thematically mirror each other. Oh, you know, that, that this is a tradition that goes back to, I mean, hundreds of years. I mean, Schubert did this in his art songs, you know, and, and the way composers play with minor and major keys and, 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 and how this song Go, goes in and out. I think you're right on the money with that. And and there there is a lyrical shift in in this song. And and well before the sometimes happens, it's it's at that oh la la, right? And then and then it kind of goes back to the minor four second verse. But then as soon as that second chorus hits, it's it's in major for the rest of the song. And there is a definite change there. Um, and and the the whole tonality of major and minor that's that's that is a well established tradition in um in western music and you know I, i'm i'm glad that you too is part of that tradition <laughs> so if we're going to continue with the lyrics uh we go to uh sometimes 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 full of anger and grieving so far away from believing that any sun will reappear and so both of them were in really dark places really slippery places that they both may have felt it was hard to crawl back from Innocence Bono and Experience Bono. Uh, it's interesting to contrast how Bono is viewing his near-death experience in this song, Experience Bono, that is, with what he says in Love is Bigger Than Anything It's Way just a few songs later. and I mean, he literally says, when you think you're done, you've just begun. <laughs> it's it, it. This song leaves you feeling kind of hopeless and like, I will be completely honest. When I first heard this, I thought, is this kind of them telegraphing that maybe the band is coming to an end? And then just a couple songs later, he's saying, when you think you're done, you've just begun. And it it's a really good example of how this 
how songs of experience functions as a true album. Uh, the whole album communicates with itself from start to end. It's not just a series of singles that can be rearranged. Uh, it's yeah. It really makes me love the album. So then oh, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you with that too. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's not just a series of singles. This, this whole album is one cohesive unit. Absolutely. Well, I think, it, I think it's, it's, one co- I think it's half of a, one whole co- cohesive unit. The other half being songs of innocence. Of course, yes, um, of course. I mean, I, I, yes. I mean, I really can't imagine these two albums without each other. And I think this, uh, when I fi- when I when we finally heard this album after hearing about it for years and finally came out, uh, it made me appreciate songs of innocence more than I did. I was, I wasn't a huge fan of innocence, but now that I've heard both of them together, it's like, Oh, okay. This was all one whole, this is almost like two ha two. Uh, I hate to say it like this, but it's almost like a Broadway show in which you get the intermission in the middle, but you know that like in every Broadway or any, any musical, not Broadway, but any musical, you know, they, they call back to songs that we heard in the first half and they work them in. Um, so all these callbacks that we're hearing, uh, in songs of experience calling back to innocence, it just made that album's that much stronger to me. Oh, um, Colin, you're breaking my heart. Could you not have said it was two hearts that beat as one? Oh, uh, oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, <sighs> okay. Well, that'll be our next song to section. I guess. <laughs> All 13 versions of it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, so the lyrics continue. Sometimes the end is not coming. The end, it's not coming. The end is here. And I think this ties really strongly back to I Will Follow and A Day Without Me, where it, it, if you were to take, to take those songs literally, that is Innocence Bono thinking about suicide. I, he's, when he sings in I Will Follow, if you walk away, I will follow. He's saying to Iris, you, you died I am thinking about suicide as a response to that. Um, when he's singing A Day Without Me, started, started a landslide in my ego. Uh, it's about the process of someone who's contemplating suicide. Um, and then you contrast that with experienced Bono, who is thinking about his health scare. He's thinking about what he just went through. Uh, by all accounts, it's cardiac arrest. These are two people who are both worried about mortality. The end is not coming. The end is here. But Innocence Bono is thinking about it as a response to his mother's death. And Experience Bono is thinking about it uh, as a response to a very unexpected health scare. And then we go into sometimes, sometimes, and I'll cut out a couple of those. When the painted glass shatters, and you're the only thing that matters, but I can't see you through the tears, it again ties back to I Will Follow, where Bono is singing about uh, pulling the four walls down, which I always kind of take to mean uh, like a figurative uh, description of his home. When Iris died, the four walls of his home were pulled down and now he's singing about the painted glass. He said that after his health scare, he had a spiritual crisis. So in, I will follow the four walls coming down are his emotional love for his mother, Agape uh, crisis. And in this song, the painting glass, painted glass shattering is his religious crisis. And then it just ends with sometimes 
the end isn't coming. It's not coming. The end is here sometimes. And it's just that duality of there could only be one end to a thing. Yet he's saying the end happens sometimes, making it both ambiguous and completely certain at the same time. And that's the end of the song. Yeah, that 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 double meaning. I mean, that's that's a that's a Bono special, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> yep. So we yeah. we touched we talked about just you know the album being just kind of you know every every song is is in its right place uh, and has a purpose. What do you guys think of the placement, the sequencing of the album, and this song where it appears? I don't know that it has any actual correct spot on the album, just because I think it's a step above every other song on the album. Um, I appreciate where they put it, again, with the juxtaposition against Love is Bigger Than Anything in its way, just because it, like two-thirds of the way into the album, uh, it, it leaves you feeling a bit breathless, a bit forlorn, um, you're worried, you're concerned. And then it just completely kicks into high gear with a blackout and then goes into love is bigger than anything. It's way, which are both just reaffirmations of what the band could do and what they're good at. And it's, it's a little crisis two thirds of the way through the album. Um, the crisis is resolved, but it is a genuine deep crisis. Yeah, I'm sorry. Did you I, mention? Did you mention landlady coming after it? Did you? Uh, yeah, you know. I, oh, I was, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I certainly appreciate where where little things comes on songs of innocence, um, especially between um, the showman and landlady. You know, the showman, give or take, you know, whatever. I mean, some people love it, and some people hate it. Um, it's a thing. Which is, yeah, which, but, but you know, it's it it is definitely a light hearted track, right? And then and then. After the showman is done, you get that you get that mysterious beginning to um, to little things, and then little things ends. And again, I I I love the adjective that you used, Ian. It leaves you breathless, and then and then we come back down to landlady, and it's this loving tribute to Allie because we all know know how much Bono loves Allie. Um, you know, so it, it 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 takes you on this high at the end of little things, and then it brings you back down a little bit for landlady, and then. And then the energy picks right back up with um, with the blackout and love is bigger. So um, I'm not sure if I would describe it as a crisis, but it is definitely. I think it's it, it's placement on the album between those those two songs, and then paired with um, blackout and love is bigger. I think it's I think it's great. Okay. All right. Uh, so I think that's, I think that's it then for, for our deep dive, uh, song dissection. We got to come up with a name for this series. Yeah. Um, um, uh, we can't call it like a song because that's already taken for, for our, <laughs> one of our at you two, uh, series on, on, on the website. Uh, we could call the website version, like a song experience. And this could be like a song, Oh, excuse me, like a song in the sense for the website version. This could be like a song experience. Ah, mm. yeah. Um, because we, you know, I, I think the more we do these, I, I think it would be great to hear 
uh, not only you know musical and lyrical dissections, but also personal connections with the song themselves. Because this is a really this song hit a lot of people uh, in a very personal way too. I mean, I mean, you guys touched on a lot of great themes and a lot of great connections to Bono's life, but I mean, I think a lot of people hear the song and hear their own lives in it, which is just one of the great things we all love about this band is the, you know, the different layers uh, of, of interpretation that you can bring to just one, you know, four and a half minute song. Um, and this is definitely just one of those. I think a lot of people, you know, I think people who have kids, I think people who are, you know, facing, uh, you know, tough life choices or dealing with the, you know, the death of a loved one in their family, or, you know, they could get something out of this song. And it's not just, Oh, that's just a song where Bono's singing about himself. It's, you can definitely, um, you know, get a lot out of this one. So, yeah. So we, you know, and we should bring, bring that into the, into the fold too, I think with the series. You make a really good point there, Colin. Um, you know, before I did a musical analysis of this, I, I listened to little things just just listening to it without trying to interpret, without trying to analyze anything. And, and, it, it, and it did hit me in a way that a U2 song hadn't hit me in a very, very long time. I mean, it, it, it took me a while to listen to little things and not, not uh, walk away in, in tears. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 it hit me at such a visceral, personal level that when I decided to analyze it, 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 it was even more eye-opening eye, eye and, and, and the song was even more brilliant. But, you know, it, I, I first established a connection with this song just at, at, at a purely bass level. Just let me just press play and listen to it and it just hooked me. Well, it, it's so... Sorry, go ahead, Ian. So do we think they're going to play it on the Joshua Tree 2019 tour? Ooh. Wow. Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> that, that communicates a lot. Right there. <laughs> I, I, I can't see that happening. I mean, they couldn't, they didn't work it into the experience tour. Um, yeah. So. Although I mean, they did work it into the fan club uh, CD release. That's true. They did. Yeah. 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 And it was, and, as Sherry pointed out, it was either 2015 or 2018 that it was played. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so I, but I, you know, I, I think if they're going to go with any song of experience on that tour, um, I don't know, what would it be? Uh, You're the best thing about me? Most again? likely, like the stripped down acoustic version. I love that version. That is, I, so, that, I, I, that just uh, made me love the song. I really do. I, <laughs> I went to San Diego and I was hoping to see the full band version because I like the song. I like the full band version. And then we got uh, this like stripped down. Tropicana, warm San Diego night. Mm -hmm. They changed the lighting in the stadium so that the Joshua tree uh, symbol that was above the screen became almost like a palm tree over the band. (laughs) And and it was, it was, it was perfect for the weather. And at the same time, I was like, I don't want this. I want the full band version. Oh, Uh, well, (sighs) That's I I don't know I I when I heard the 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 single version I was like mm, okay it's fine but now <laughs> oh, it's now like, I, now I really like it now I really like the full band version because mm-hmm. of the of, of the live version it's weird how that happens sometimes if this series continues we need to get into a discussion of how the verses the melodies of the verses in you're the best thing about me are exactly the same as the verses of even better than the real thing ooh. All right, Ooh. we go listen to those two Ooh, songs back exactly to the same. They are exactly the same. <laughs> and uh, the chord sequence in 
uh, crumbs through your table is exactly the same as walk on. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm going to go listen we're, to those now too. We've got stuff we need to talk about if this series yeah. continues. Okay. Well, I mean, if, <laughs> yeah. if, if, if our, if the people who are listening aren't, don't have the urge to go listen to the little things that give you away right now, then we didn't do our job right. Um, <laughs> but I can't imagine that because I really want to go listen to it again right now. Um, awesome. Then uh, mission accomplished. Yeah. At least for one person. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. This was a lot of fun. Um, all right. So, uh, ask at you to a question, uh, suggest a topic or just comment on it on YouTube news. And we may post, uh, we may use it in a future podcast. Go to hashtag ask at you too on Twitter. Uh, guys, where can we find you online? You, if we, you can find me on Twitter and, um, Instagram, uh, at CJS Endronaut. And I am opening my Twitter account right now because I do not remember my, my Twitter ideas, but I will find it in just a moment. I am EMP Ryan on Twitter. All right. I'm Colin underscore Suter on Twitter, but I, I haven't used my Twitter that much either. But you can friend me on Facebook or you know read me on RogerEbert.com or listen to my other podcast, Christmas Movies Actually. All right. So, uh, oh, we didn't do we didn't pick a title with uh, for this episode. Um, do we need to do that now? We can uh, do that later. Oh, mm, man. We didn't mm. think about that. Oh, see, we don't have Chris here to keep us on our on track like that. But I, I know, guess right? maybe we'll think of honest. it. We'll think of it later. Uh, let's call the let's call the title. The end is here. Uh, <laughs> okay the end is here no it's our last one yeah. <laughs> that's what people are gonna think uh-huh. okay all right uh is there anything else i have to d- put here on the in the in the outro that uh, hopefully chris has inserted the music by now no okay mm-hmm. all right well that's it for at you two uh the podcast and we'll see you next time with something uh i don't know what it'll be but uh it'll, it'll be pretty great i'm sure as the band gears up for the joshua tree 2019 tour um guys thanks a lot thanks for hosting thanks us all right see ya. good night night night